Welcome to The Meaning of the Movie, your podcast about what matters most when it comes to the film. I'm going to share spoiler-free, no spoilers today, about the themes, characters, ideas, and meaning of not one movie, but a bunch of movies today. Uh, Doing something a little bit different for today's episode, it is seven meaningful movies of 2023. Um, This is just me, solo podcast with Rob. Andrew's not here today, a couple reasons why. One, I know he has not seen a lot of these movies, and movie discussions only really work when both people have seen the movies, and so I didn't want to make him sit here and be like, oh, that sounds really interesting, I'll have to check that out, to movies that he has not seen. And two, it's end of the year, holidays, coordinating schedules is tricky, and so I just wanted to create a simple episode and get it out before it hits 2024 to talk about movies of 2023. Because I have good news for you. This was a great year for film. This is the best year we've had since 2019, in my opinion. Um, a lot of, you know, post-pandemic, messed up movies for a couple of years. But this, mo- this year, movies really came roaring back. There were a lot of great box office hits, a lot of movies that we've covered, like Oppenheimer and Barbie and Killers of the Flower Moon. And so lots of fun movies this year. But um So many so that there were a bunch that I didn't get to talk about in the podcast. And we may do episodes on some of these in the future. I'm sure a few of these that I'm listed will be nominated for several Academy Awards, that sort of thing. But um, I didn't want to let the year pass by without a list. And you can do a couple of things with this list. One, you can listen along. And if you've seen the movies, be like, oh, yes, I agree or disagree, Rob. That's part of the fun of the podcast. Or two, it may give you a chance to be like, "Ooh, I haven't seen that yet. I want to check that out. And so I have seven movies in total. I'm just going to quickly talk about them. I won't spoil them, but I'll talk big picture meaning of what they are and why they resonated with me. And so I'm not going to talk about movies that we've already discussed, like Barbie, Oppenheimer, that sort of stuff. Um, You've heard all of our thoughts about those. And so this is not a definitive end of the year top 10 best list. This is just seven movies that we have not talked about in the podcast that I still found really interesting and meaningful. Okay, so that's my preamble. With all that said, here we go. I actually have, of the seven, I have two that are kind of in couplets because they are so similar to each other. And I ranked them uh, around the same place as far as like my favorites of the year. And so number seven is Leave the World Behind. And number six is Knock at the Cabin. And I put these two movies together because they are very similar. Both these movies are about the apocalypse which, you know, (laughs) that's not that special. Lots of movies about the apocalypse. But both these movies are also about the apocalypse and when strangers knock at your door and you don't know what to do with these strangers in front of your door. And that's a pretty unique sort of premise. The fact that that's the core tension is these strangers at your door and what do you do with them? And um, it's pretty interesting because these movies with that similarity in common, otherwise they're very, very different. So let's talk first, leave the world behind. Um, This has probably the most controversial ending of any film this year. Some people love it. Many people hate it. And it kind of ruined the whole movie for them. I'm not going to spoil it for you. um, But I will say I found the movie really gripping. I was kind of engaged and on the edge of my seat the whole time. And part of what made it so interesting was it felt like this is how the apocalypse could really happen. It felt like one domino following, falling and then the next and the next. And this is not aliens. This is not zombies. This is not something like that. It's just little pieces of things 
in our society that unravel and quickly unravel everything else. And we feel like we live in a world with so much, so many benefits, so much technology, but it wouldn't take much to send everything spiraling and falling apart. Um, I think that's why we have preppers in the world. Maybe they're the smartest people we have. Um, I'm not much of a prepper, but after watching movies like this, I want to become a prepper. And to leave the world behind, I think what's so interesting about it is it's just these, you know, two families that are end up in the same house and it's their humanity. They're wrestling with what's happening, with what's going on. Um, but it also does something really smart, which is it shows how they annoy each other. It shows how they are kind and caring for each other. It shows just kind of like all the tensions that happen when you're in a place with complete strangers, but you're dealing with a very, very common trauma. And it makes me think of 9-11 or COVID or those sort of things where it's like, I felt so bonded to people who I never met because we're all facing the same crisis. And that's what this movie has and does really well. I think it's phenomenally made, shot, acted, all the production value is A+. Like I said, I was gripped through the whole thing. And the ending is shocking. I think one thing we could all agree on is the ending is completely shocking. And that's all I have to say about Leave the World Behind. And then on the flip side, Knock of the Cabin, which I think is a little bit better, um, there's not really a mystery to what's happening. In the first 10 minutes, a group of four people who are kind of like the four horsemen of the apocalypse come and knock on this little family's door, and they give them a choice, which is one of you has to sacrifice one member of the family to stop the apocalypse. And so it it's kind of feels like a Twilight Zone episode or maybe a Black Mirror episode, which it gives you this simple, simple choice of like, would you sacrifice someone from your own family to save millions of lives, to save billions of lives? Like, would you do that? And it wrestles through how significant that choice is and what it means and what it looks like. And I just thought it was really well done. It's by M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, I can never say his last name right, but it's by our boy M. Night. And we're big fans of his. We did Sixth Sense this year, um, talked about that movie. We talked about how hit and miss his career is. And I feel like this is just him in his sweet spot, which is taking an original story. It's based on a novel by Paul Trimbley. Um, I think it's called Knock of the Cabin, but it takes that novel and it expands on it and makes it his own story. And it's got a twist in its own way, but it, it just really plays well. Again, it plays well like this sort of magical Twilight Zone episode in a film. And so that's number seven and number six. I just think it's interesting how those films kind of play off each other. They're mirror images of each other. Number five is a film called Godzilla Minus One. Um, I would not have expected the best Godzilla movie ever made to come out in 2023. This movie is not in my radar. I did not hear about it at all. I did not think about it. But all of a sudden, it became a phenomenon in the last couple of months. And people started talking about it, about this film. It's... um. Completely in Japanese with subtitles. It's a Japanese filmmaker cast, everything else. And it's breathtaking. And I think the reason it works so well is because so many of these big action set piece stories are all about like, okay, the next big thing that's going to happen is city blowing up. What's going to happen next? Even big Marvel movies are rooted in character, but eventually devolve into like the big action taking over and a big bombastic third act. Um, this movie from the word go is rooted in a simple character story that just pulls you all the way through. It's about a failed kamikaze pilot who's wrestling with his own choices and what happens with his country. 
And so it's very much rooted in Japanese culture. It's set in 1945, like right at the end of post-World War II. And what's so interesting for me is I grew up watching Godzilla movies when I was a kid. You know, they'd be on Saturday afternoons and it was like these claymation things that were destroying cities. And it was just like a fun popcorny thing. And I didn't realize until years later that part of what Godzilla movies are was Japanese culture reconciling with the atomic bomb, with what it means to have a bomb literally go off in the middle of your city, kill so many people in this thing that you didn't even know existed or didn't understand its impact, and it's unleashed upon you. And Godzilla is sort of a metaphor or a fairy tale or a fable way of dealing with an unthinkable tragedy. And we are talked about Oppenheimer this year, which is about the creation of said bomb and the releasing of said bombs and the atrocity that that was. Um, and this film is, a, again, a totally different angle of it. Um, and it's a different angle of it in the fact that it's still set in World War II in Japan in a world where the bombs have just fallen and this culture is reliving what happened. But I think what makes this movie so powerful is it's just rooted in these three characters and Kochi, and Noriko, and you care about what happens to them. And it just, for most of the movie, it doesn't feel like a big action set piece film. It feels more like an intimate, character-driven study, and I just love that about this film. Um, The third act does, it it reminded me of Top Gun Maverick in a way, where Top Gun Maverick, they really showed you their plan and exactly how it was going to come together, and then it unravels in front of you. And the third act of this movie worked in a very, very similar way which they have this plan, they really lay it out, they show all these maps and graphs of how it's going to be, and then it goes very differently than you thought it would. So I don't want to spoil anything more, but I would say this film, even if you don't like Godzilla films, like some of my family did not want to see it because they're like, ugh, another Godzilla movie. Does he fight King Kong? Does he fight Mothra in this one? I'm like, no, that's not what this is. This is a powerful character study, and I think it's well worth your time. So that's number five, Godzilla minus one. My three and four are, uh, number four is Air, and number five is Blackberry. And again, I'm putting these movies in a couplet because what's so interesting is they're kind of about the foundation of these two companies. Uh, Let's start with Air, which is about the foundation of Nike uh, as a worldwide superpower. In 1984, there was Converse, and Converse had all the big basketball stars. And if you've listened to this very long, you should know Basketball is a sport, especially NBA, that I love. It's near and dear to my heart. Go Nuggets. Uh, Basketball is a second passion for me, along with movies. And this film actually takes my passion for filmmaking and my passion for basketball and and my passion from the 1980s and puts it into one sweet sentimental package. Uh, It's pretty interesting because they're going after this young rookie named Michael Jordan. And with hindsight, we know this is the best endorsement deal in business history. But, you know, the characters did not have that information when the movie came out. They did not know that Michael Jordan was going to become the most important athlete worldwide phenomenon ever. They kind of bet and went all in on this. And what I love about this movie is it's directed by Ben Affleck, who you may or may not know, but has an awesome uh, filmography, actually. He's done Gone Baby Gone. He's done The Town. He's done Argo, which won Best Picture. And he makes this movie called Air, and he makes it with his buddy Matt Damon. And for me, part of the fun was just seeing Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, just kind of be in character, do this kind of dream, um, you know, scrappy, we have a vision, we're going to make it happen story. Um, And it was really, really fun. It's a great hang. I don't know if it's like super deep and meaningful, 
um, in the sense of like it's got something dark about the human condition. But there is something that's just fun about like, okay, I have a belief in something. I'm going to follow a hunch and I'm going to go with it and I'm going to push all my chips to the middle. And there's something about that story done really, really well and right that makes it so fun. And then on the inverse of that is this movie called Blackberry. You may or may not know that when iPhones first came out, Blackberry was the smartphone at the center of the world. It was the kind of game changer, revolutionary phone. And so it's really interesting to see this story, which is kind of like the opposite of air and the sense of like, this is about the rise of Blackberry, making smartphones a thing, taking over the world. But we know this story is not going to end well. It's going to all unravel for them. And this is the opposite where air is kind of like smart decisions, betting on the right thing, the right amount of hubris. This movie is about egos and overconfidence and selfishness and greed kind of run amok. It's really, really funny. Um, great performances. Uh, it's just, again, <clears throat> fun to f- spend time in a world that's like 2005, you know, 2006, 2007 history lesson. Um, but it's just really, really well done. And um, <laughs> it's so shocking when the iPhone actually comes out and you see it's like an atomic bomb to their business and what it does to them and their pride. And um, it's just the rise and fall of a great company. So Air is about this company rising and ascending. BlackBerry is about this company rising and ascending and then falling apart and crashing. And both are fascinating business movies worth watching, um, which is why I put them on my list. This now takes me to number two on the list, which, again, so many movies that I have not seen. And so this is not a all comprehensive list. Um, but this was one of the movies that I did see um, and I saw early on when it first came into the theaters here in Austin, Texas, and it's a movie called Past Lives. It's a South Korean film, and it's about uh, Nora and Sung, two deeply connected childhood friends, are wrestled apart after Nora's family immigrates from South Korea. So really this movie's about two kids who knew each other when they were kids, kind of stay connected, um, but just through phone calls and that sort of thing, and aren't really hanging out a bunch. And then they meet for one faithful week, like 20 years later. And a couple thoughts on this. One, it's such a beautiful, haunting, simple movie. So many movies that we watch are about big stakes and big things going on. They're murder mysteries or superheroes or apocalyptic stories. This movie is about two friends who were separated at childhood. It was so simple, but it's also about a clash of cultures. And it's about a life that could have been. I think if you've lived long enough, you have... That person that you dated that got away, that job that you were going to take that you didn't take. These simple sort of things that we have in our life where we see a fork in the road moment. What if our life would have turned out a simple way? This movie deals with that as well as any film that I've seen in a long time of these simple choices that happen that define our lives. But it's also got um, some culture influence from South Korea and some beliefs and ideas and philosophy that they have that really adds some depth and tapestry to this. And it's such a simple story that is heartbreaking, that feels real, that feels human. And I just love this movie. I don't know how to really, I'm sure I'm talking about it and you're like, ah, that sounds kind of boring or kind of simple. It's profound. It's um, really heartbreaking and it's worth seeing. So past lives, I'm guessing it's going to be nominated for best picture. It will be on a lot of people's best picture list for this year. It'll be in the top five, I think, for many, many film critics. 
and film lovers because it's just such a powerful story. And that takes me to my number one film, uh, my most meaningful film of 2023. And this is probably just me personally that just found this movie so meaningful, but it's called The Holdovers. And it's such a simple story. A cranky history teacher at a remote prep school is forced to remain on campus over the holidays with a troubled student who has no place to go. And I think what I loved about this movie is most movies are about the most attractive and interesting people on the planet. Um, you know, I was sitting in previews and I was seeing The Fall Guy, which has Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt, and they're just so attractive and beautiful and charming on every single frame. And those are the type of people we go to movies for. And rarely do we go to movies for kind of boring, ordinary people who we wouldn't even want to be trapped at the same dinner party with. Um, but that's the holdovers. These are kind of like just ordinary human beings who are not super attractive, who are not super successful, who have nothing special about them, but their humanity is so ever-present. Paul Giamatti, Mary Lamb, Angus Tolley give this kind of incredible trio of performances. And I think one genre that I just always love is like the cranky old guy who has something to say and teach to the young idealistic kid. And that can sound so sentimental and so sappy. <laughs> and honestly, in a way it is. But there's something so profound and honest and real about this movie. Um, and it just hit me. It's, it came out during Christmas at a time where we're watching so many movies where there's such beauty and joy and people falling in love and finding hope. Um, and Christmas movies are so often very, very sentimental. Um, and they're sentimental about people who have a lot going on in their lives. Even George Bailey has a house, he has four kids, he has a job, he has so much going on for him. Ebenezer Scrooge is completely rich, has lots going on for him. Nicolas Cage and Family Man, I watched that this year. He's super rich and wealthy and charming and charismatic and can, you know, hook up with anyone he wants. Paul Giamatti in this movie plays a teacher who has nothing. He is ridiculed by his own students. He is hated by his own uh, administration. The faculty at the school and the principal at the school, the headmaster, just think he's a complete joke. He is someone who is just essentially waiting to die. There's nothing left going on in his life. He's an alcoholic. He is hopeless. Um, and you see a few scenes where he finally opens himself up and you see how vulnerable and dark and broken he is. Um, and the way that this trio of people learns to care for and love for each other could be so sentimental, could be so cheesy, but it's not. It's powerful and it's meaningful and it's about like, okay, really opening up your eyes and seeing the people who are all around you and seeing the people who are truly suffering during Christmas and what it means to actually lean into their stories and look after them and try to care for them. And that movie just got me, The Holdovers. Uh, it's by Alexander Payne, who's one of my favorite filmmakers because his movies are so simple and unassuming, but they're about this like overwhelming sadness and grief um, and finding hope in the midst of that. And I think that's meaningful. And so that's my list. Those are seven movies that I think you could check out. Um, Leave the World Behind, number seven. Knock at the Cabin, number six. Number five, Godzilla Minus One. 
number four, Air, number three, Blackberry, number two, Past Lives, and number one, The Holdovers. That's my list. That is our last episode of 2023. Thank you so much for listening. Until then, we'll see you next time on The Meaning of the Movie.